Welcome to Alaska Black Caucus. Authentic, bold, committed. This program was supported by a grant awarded by the Municipality of Anchorage, Anchorage Health Department. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this publication, program, and exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Municipality of Anchorage, Anchorage Health Department. Good evening. I'm Jay Brown, the Executive Assistant and a member of the Alaska Black Caucus serving on the Health Committee, an organization that champions the lives of Black people in areas of health, economics, justice, and education. Thank you for joining us for tonight's community conversation. Essential workers, how are you coping with COVID? Please remember that this conversation is being recorded for rebroadcast, so please keep yourselves on mute. If you have questions, use the chat and we will try our best to get to them after our panelists provide some introductory information. Please welcome tonight's moderator, Teresa Breville, who will introduce our panelists. Thank you, Jay. Again, my name is Teresa Breville. This is exciting as we are ending Women's History Month. We want to welcome a panel of dynamic women leaders of their community. And I am so thrilled to introduce them. Our first panelist is Lillian Yulukiviela, who is a community health worker at the Pacific Community of Alaska, a nonprofit organization that serves the native Hawaiian. Pacific Islander community in Anchorage. She's also a peer leader navigator at the Alaska Literacy Program. As a brand new organization, they hope to grow their programs that are offered so they can be represented throughout the state of Alaska to provide health education and other services to help with supporting the needs of our community. Right now, the Pacific Community of Alaska Community Health Workers are supporting their community by providing COVID-19 prevention kits, COVID-19 at-home tests, and hosting COVID-19 vaccine pop-up clinics in our community. We want to welcome our second panelist, Mrs. Pana Jurasi. She is a public health nurse who is dedicated to improving patient outcomes through education and advocacy. Pana has been a nationally board certified school nurse working at Service High School for the last 20 years, mentoring students, staff, nurses, and making a positive impact in the Alaskan community. Ms. Lynch Jurassi has participated in COVID-19 reduction efforts through improving COVID-19 health literacy for BIPOC and marginalized populations. Working in COVID-19 vaccination clinics in Anchorage, serving on the Health Equity Committee, advising the Municipal Assembly, and the Alaska Black Caucus Health Equity ECHO as a hub member to help shape the care and services surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic here in Alaska. Her ongoing journey to improve her delivery of public health nursing care will be as a doctoral student at the Purdue University in August. Our third panelist is Mrs. Jaquita Oliver from Virginia, now living in Anchorage, working with the Alaska Black Caucus as their assistant program manager, 
on the, under the awarded COVID-19 grant. Jackie, as she goes by, has over half a decade of experience working in direct support, supervision, and program management roles for individuals with serious mental and intellectual disabilities. Prior to that, Jackie worked with the hospitality and transportation sales industry, providing marketing and account management sales to elite and premier transportation vendors throughout the Eastern Coast. It was during that transient period and travel time that Jackie noticed a need within not only her community, but a lot of the communities visited, that there was no stable place for mental health and whatever capacity that looked like. A plan was put in place, and despite the pandemic and the economic struggles that came along over the last two years, Jackie can now say she consults under the direction of her older sister, a proud owner of a newly established day support facility within their community of Richmond, where she served and meets the needs of ID individuals by meeting them where they are and providing support services to aid ID individuals with a better and potentially a more self-sufficient quality of life. Last but certainly not the least, Betsy Colanti, a community health worker here in Alaska Primary Care Association. Betsy provides COVID-19 education and enables clarity of misinformation about the vaccine and spread of COVID through a Hispanic cultural organization called Enlace. Through her work, Enlace provides direct resources to the Latinx and Hispanic communities in their efforts to stop the spread of COVID-19. Okay, are you all ready? Next, we will play a video on health worker heroes. I am so proud of all our health workers. Yes, they are heroes. And afterwards, I'll be returning over to Jackie, who will then navigate tonight's conversation. Thank you all. We've all heard this term, health worker heroes, but really they're health worker humans. Health workers are just people like us. They've been working in incredibly challenging situations, especially during the past year. They're not magic. They don't have superpowers that let them never sleep or make them invincible against disease. They're real people. They're people who have families and hobbies and needs inside and outside of work. If 2020 taught us anything, is that health workers are essential to us all. But we never ask the question, what's essential to health workers? Well, this is a question we spent a lot of time thinking about at InterHealth International. And the answers are many. Health workers need decent housing, steady and fair paychecks, regular training, masks, gloves, and other PPE so that they can do the job safely. They need protection from burnout. They need protection for their mental health and they need supportive supervisors and strong managers and the right technology at their fingertips. There's a lot of complexity in delivering healthcare. A lot of moving parts that have to come together so it can happen. And health workers who are trained, equipped, and deployed where they're needed most are at the center of it all. 
So that's why we look at the whole health worker and the whole health system. You can't just focus on medicines, for example, to fight disease. Drugs and medicines are essential. We're all thrilled that now we have these amazing COVID vaccines. But there's so much focus on the vaccine that no one's talking about the people it will take to deliver them. We're talking about a massive global vaccine rollout that's bigger and faster than humanity has ever attempted. There are 7.8 billion of us today. Who is going to give all those shots? We're going to need more nurses, midwives, community health workers, already and deployed to every city and village in the world. So if we don't have the right people in place, no amount of product will help us succeed. We need lab techs, IT professionals, drivers, cleaners, advocates, clinicians. They're all health workers and they're all essential. So we need to invest in them. So one thing you can do today, right now, is to make sure your elected representatives in government know where you stand. Let's call on them to act for health workers. Let's ask them to make an emergency and long-term investment to better support and protect health workers, to ensure there are enough skilled, equipped health workers to deliver life-saving vaccines and essential health services for everyone, everywhere. When we invest in health workers, we invest in our future, the future we want. All right, everyone, how awesome, how awesome. I hope everybody could take notes from that video and just understand the importance. I like how she continuously mentioned people, um, the people. Um, and when we think about who we are and within my community, within the African-American community, I always speak about my tribe, my village, and who it took to get me where I am. And I appreciate that. So for all the essential workers out there, those joining in, those listening in Facebook lives, we thank you just for your role, for everything that you do. And to my village, I thank you for the support because that's how I got through. That's how I managed COVID. I was able to be able to survive with my family through their input, um, through some self reevaluation and different things. So um, we must ensure that, you know, those that are serving and those in those helping roles that are chancing themselves for others, no matter the hierarchy, whether it's the gentleman that's ensuring that, you know, the toilets and the restrooms are cleaned and sanitized for us to go into every day, up to the boss who had to make the decision to close down the company um, and have telehealth or telework done so that they can still serve the people that's in need. I thank you just for those decisions that have to be made because they weren't easy. This pandemic came at a time where we weren't necessarily prepared for it. There was a lot of things going on politically. And, you know, right now within the U.S., we matter. We all matter. So let's just remember the person next to us as we have this conversation, because uh, I just want to say it right now. I'll do a disclaimer. This is not a political conversation nor a debate. We're here to have a conversation and see how you guys are doing. So without that, and without further ado, I want to go ahead and just start our panel discussion. Um, but I do want to welcome each and every person that's here within the conversation. I'd like you to stay on mute, but for the next round, if you're going to go ahead and cut on those cameras for me, um, I want to see who I'm talking to. I don't know about you guys, but I like to have a conversation and it's hard for me to talk if I can't see somebody's reaction. So if you can cut on your cameras. Um, you know, those that will be able to see each other, you're welcome. I can see my lovely panelists of beautiful, dynamic women here. Um, and then as you're thinking about that, continue to think about that video. 
Um, and in the chat, if you'll go ahead and write your name, your profession, and how did you deal with and cope through the pandemic with over the last two years and how maybe you're still dealing with it. I'll give you a few minutes, just maybe one or two minutes, and then we'll continue to move on. During this time, I welcome any of my panelists um, just to make sure that we're pronouncing names right, have everybody good to go and just say hello. Um, my name is Jackie Jaquita Oliver. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, born and raised. Um, I'm here in Anchorage with my husband, who's a military sergeant. Uh, it is a different dynamic here, I can tell you. I'm excited. Um, I, we just moved here and I'm about to experience the midnight summers that everybody is raving about. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's just the good work that I can do within the community. Um, during the pandemic, I was transient and it was very hard for me just to travel without family. And then the love and the welcoming that you wanted to see as you travel through states you necessarily didn't get because we were scared. You know, people were scared of the pandemic and still scared to this day because it is something that's really serious that we're dealing with. So. Um, I thank you. I see the chat blowing up here. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, okay. So for the first question, I'm going to go ahead and turn over to Panna, if that's all right. Um, from looking in the chat, it looks like that there is a lot of persons that have roles that were centered within direct contact with individuals, uh, person-centered roles. I see lawyers here. Okay. I see probation officers here. Okay. Awesome. So Panna, I want to ask you, as a nurse within the school district of Anchorage, um, I was told some of the schools were closed, some of them were open, you have virtual learning. Um, how did you navigate with that change of routine um, for those students and then uh, as an essential worker for yourself through COVID? Thank you, Jackie, for welcoming me. I um, was in a school that was um, partially open and partially closed. We had some students here in high school. We had a lot of staff here in, at Service High School. Uh, most people may not realize that school nurses are responsible for not just students, but the entire building. So staff, um, janitors, um, the teachers, all of the employees. And there were lots of employees in the building um, in uh, the 2021 school year. So what I and I was here in my office Monday through Friday through the whole period. Um, I learned very quickly to reach out to my colleagues, to reach out to other high school nurses um, and kind of just network. It was, it was nice to just be able to pick up the phone and ask a question. Um, a lot of the high school nurses I work with were also trained by the municipality of Anchorage Health Department as COVID disease investigation specialists and contact tracers. So when I came across um, a situation in my job that I just didn't understand, I would shout out to the nurse at West, the nurse at South, the nurse at Diamond, the nurse at Central, um, kind of as my support network. Um, it was rough. It was it was rough um, because I, I was dealing with um, COVID issues remote. So I had students that had COVID at home. I had family members that had COVID at home. And so even though I was in my office, I had to case manage and provide uh, mental health support and COVID information for them. So I felt it was really important to stop and kind of take my emotional pulse, kind of take my spiritual temperature in the middle of the day, the middle of the week to go, where am I? How am I doing? 
And again, um, touching base with my school nurse colleagues, that was that's what kept me going through that first year of COVID. I definitely understand. Like I said, self-care for me is the best care. So just taking that break sometimes helps. Um, uh, Lillian, I pose the same question to you. I know you're not a school nurse, so as as applicable. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jackie. Uh, when COVID first started, I was working in a shelter with children and families, and that was really difficult for me because we didn't have the resources at first to provide masks for the facility and for our families. And so even for children, it was really hard to talk about social distancing when the kids just wanted to hug and play together. So that was really difficult. And coming home after those days working in a place where I was an essential worker, being very transient with the families and the children, coming home to a Pacific Islander family where we have nine people at home was super difficult for me to understand, okay, I have to keep everyone safe and follow the CDC guidelines. And even when we ourselves were essential workers at home. So to cope, I was really lucky to have a great support system of family and friends and coworkers who understood the struggles of being an essential workers and how to advocate for ourselves. I also was really lucky to have a workplace, uh, my part-time job at the Alaska Literacy Programs with um, other peer leader navigators who really wanted to mobilize and work within their community to help with meeting the needs of their community members. So I started that virtually and just being in that space with other peer leader navigators was so helpful to bring hope and joy at that time in my life. And I also found a lot of joy in creating and being part of a Pacific Islander community that really wanted to help our Pacific Islander community members who were getting sick with the virus. So we, as a community health worker, I coped by just being virtually with other community members, and that helped a lot. Thank you for that. Basically, same question. Yes. I, I, uh, well, uh, when COVID uh, started, I was working a PCA agency. Uh, with, I was able, uh, to manage the, the change in my routine, uh, using hygiene measures, um, practice distance, um, wear mask, uh, engage in meaningful techniques, you know, like a breathing exercise, uh, meditation, because many, many days, you know, I feel so scared about the the virus. Yeah. Thank you for that, Daisy. Um, I, I like that you said, you mentioned scared, being scared and fear. I think fear kept a lot of people just in general from kind of advocating for themselves during the pandemic. Um, it's whether it was just fear of, you know, hey, I don't know if I want to go to work today because I might get exposed and I have a sick grandparent at home. Um, you know, it, it was those dynamics that I have to worry about other people. If I feel like I can face it and fight it myself, you know, it might not be me that is getting attacked or the one that might be prone to it. So um, thank you for mentioning that. Um, and with that being said, the next question actually goes into advocacy. So um, I'm going to ask uh, Lillian actually for you to um, if you could start this question off for me. So as an essential worker, um, how did you think you found the voice to advocate for yourself or what did that look like? And you briefly touched on it a little bit, but. If you could just give us an idea, generally. 
I think advocacy for me meant to go to leadership and really tell them how scared we were without having proper PPE to protect us and constantly being exposed. So for me, it meant to actually use my voice so that my other coworkers and I and the people we worked with at our facility can be safe during that time. Pana, same question. Self-advocacy. Um, those that work with me at service and those nurses in the school district community know me as somebody who has always had a voice. Um, I was taught um, at a young age to speak truth to power, always. And in that process, you find that you self-advocate, that you, you have the strength to say, wait a minute, this isn't okay. Um, whether the advocacy as a school nurse was demanding proper PPE, um, whether the advocacy was um, to my administrator saying, I, I need time for myself. Um, finding the voice for me wasn't hard. I think that uh, it was more um, speaking truth to power. That was my, my advocacy for myself, was speaking truth to power um, with no malice of forethought, just speaking from the heart, saying this is what is needed and going forward with that. Uh, Basie, if you want to touch on it, you're welcome to. Well, uh, I find uh, the the most uh, to advocacy for me uh, when I saw misinformation all the time in my family and the community. <laughs> you say, okay, uh, I hear someone say me, oh, Hey, don't don't back you know don't take the vaccine because can you die you say oh yeah and this time you know uh uh from there my five began to jerego thank you for that um i i think that um my myself advocacy advocacy came um i was within the mental health field so i was in louisiana originally when the pandemic pandemic first started so um, we were living on an installation on the base and so it went from you know just hey showing your id get on base to you need to show work letters saying that you're an essential worker that you need to be out here um, on and off the base. Um, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with how the military dynamic is. It's, it's a little checky in there, you know, so um, it was hard to get around. So I actually had to go to my boss and say, hey, is there anything that you can provide me just to say, hey, this is my work schedule. Um, I'm going to be outside of the parameters when they're actually let, allowing people onto base. And, you know, I had to pretty much validate myself um, before there was a vaccine card or anything like that. I, I had to show proof that I had due diligence to be on and off this base at these certain hours to stop the spread. So that was really scary um, to navigate and just to see the dynamic of people um, going back and forth when the visitor center was closed or just in general, like, um, you know, you had people coming into the hotel that were scared to even talk to you as the attendant, you know, um, it, it was almost like leprosy, right? So, you know, I, I think I'm thankful for the faithful few and the people that continue to press through because, you know, without them, a lot of the services and things that we have, we wouldn't have or still continue to have. Um, a, a lot of people joke on Amazon, but Amazon came through in a lot of aspects. I know they started delivering groceries outside of just the overall things that they do in general. Um, so I, I wanted to speak to that, but we'll move on to the next question uh, for Sorry, the sake of time. I didn't hear what you said. 
Um, Siri is a mess. Um, <laughs> so we'll move on to the next question for the sake of time. Um, I see a lot of people, there was a mention here about advocating for yourself in hazard pay. Um, that actually was our next question. So thank you for that. Um, so any panelists, you're welcome to answer. I'm not going to specifically call on any of you. So um, hazard pay and that notion, can you speak on what that is and what that looked like for you? while you were serving in the pandemic, or if you, you know, have that option available to you now. Go ahead, Hannah. As school nurses, um, hazardous pay was um, not even on the table and never has been. Um, And what a lot of people may not understand is COVID is still going on for us. So the 2021 school year, part of it, we had no, no one in the building and the other half, we did have students in the building. This year was incredibly stressful and hard for school nurses. Um, Demands of managing health offices, not enough time for basic care, not enough time to eat, not enough time to take breaks, not enough time for toileting, um, and not enough time for emotional recovery. And so as school nurses, we um, do not get paid when we miss our lunches. We don't get um, compensated for extra duties as assigned, like uh, COVID testing on top of our daily work that we do. Those nurses that are in high schools um, are responsible for the health and well-being of a population the size of Cordova in the summer. The two larger high schools, it's over 2,000 students plus staff. And um, the notion of hazard pay for school nurses doesn't exist within the Anchorage School District. That's that's just the way it is. And so I think self-care became um, a necessity for us because there is no hazard pay. There is no pay for us to use up our um, lunch or planning time or to stay late um, to take care of, of our patients during COVID. Thank you, Panna. Did anybody else want to answer? Because I can't. Nope. Good. Okay. So for me, that that really looked like so I, I transitioned from Louisiana. I went back home. I actually lost my grandfather um, during the midst of the pandemic. So uh, not to COVID, but that was even hard too. Um, not losing a family member to something other than COVID. Um, you couldn't see them. Um, the funeral was big, but it was limited in how we could be spaced out, who could be there. It was it was difficult for us. So um, with that, um, I continued to try, like you said, you know, separate myself and try to find ways to be able to have that self-care. But it was hard. So I stayed working. Um, I was working within the mental health field as a program manager. And um, with that being, it was hard to navigate with the change in routine of my clients um, to tell them that they could not go outside every day and do their normal due diligence. It was difficult. Um, we, we had some ups, we had some downs, but we learned together. And, and that's where I think that it, it, it really is important for you to understand self first and to know that if self isn't okay, if I can't get through my issues and my things that I'm going through, I can't effectively serve my clients. I could have easily given up. You know, um, it was it was a hard thing for my family to go through. We lost a huge part of us when we lost him. And I could have easily said, you know what, forget it all. Um, I'm, I'm going to stay at home and collect this check because they definitely were sending those checks out left and right. Thank you. But, you know, um, 
Um, but you know, it, it, but you push forward and you trudge on. And, and that's the reason for this conversation is today to, to recognize those unsung heroes, those ones that kept pushing forward right now. And even still to this day through the pandemic to get the information out there and keep everybody safe. Um, whether you feel in your own heart of hearts up or down, um, there's, there's something out there that's affecting us all. It's all taking us through some tolls and some difficulties. And I really, we really want to know how can, we be of service to each other. And with that, it takes a village. Um, Panna, is your hand still raised or is it up again to answer? It's up again because I'm looking at um, a question or comment in the chat box about how yes. school nurses advocate for students and families in the Anchorage School District. So I wanted to speak to that. Boy, <laughs> that would take a long list. A, a typical um, COVID situation for school nurses would be um, a parent calls the school and tells the nurse their student has COVID symptoms and may be tested positive for COVID. And so that nurse immediately becomes their educator, their case manager, and their advocate. Many times um, we have families where there are two or three generations in one household. So that school nurse now has to assess the health and well-being of not just the student, but possibly um, the entire family. Um, maybe it's a phone call that you are listening in and talking to the parent and you hear coughing in the background. You, he you find out that there's an elder in the household who also may have COVID. So now that school nurse has to advocate for the student, for the parent, and for the other family members, it may be connecting them to community resources. It may be um, doing a COVID test in their house to test the whole family. Um, it may be advocating for them to have food delivered. Um, and then once that student returns to school, the nurse still is the advocate for the student in the building in post-COVID health issues and just um, maintaining the mitigation standards that are set forth. So um, in, a, in an elementary school, because we are responsible for pre-K, three through age 22, um, school nurses work hard to um, make sure that it's not just the student, but it's the family that is advocated for um, into well-being. Thank you for that, Panna. Um, I appreciate the insight there. Um, I'm going to actually go to the chat and read some of the comments that were mentioned because it was blowing up as everybody was speaking. So I just want to make sure that we give mention to everybody who made comments. Um, so thank you everybody for sharing your professions. I see we have some health equity managers in the house, some teachers. Um, we have people that like to listen and dance and cope with music. Um, I definitely like to turn on my music. I got, I, I like Young Dolph. So I don't know if y'all know about him, but rest in peace. He was an artist that just passed away. Um, we got some meditation and yoga. Um, we got some RNs in the building. They use coping strategies, friends and supportive nurses. Um, they have mentors that they went to. Um, walk dogs and went skiing. That sounds nice. Advocated in Anchor Point. Um, they kept, I kept my sanity by attending public meetings and advocating to locally create change and stay in the know, speaking up incessantly. I know that's right. All right. We have some HUD housing administrators and they scale back from face to face client engagements to telework when possible. I know that's right. Keep safe. Um, we have some deputy sheriffs in the, in the building. 
I'm interested to know about that and and, and see how the dynamic of for for the 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 detained population was uh, the DOC population. That would be an interesting feat. We actually have some programs coming up in regards to um, the Department of Corrections and how we're helping them um, them recover from COVID and, and move forward after they're uh, released back into population. So um, awesome! Somebody said couldn't have made it without you, Panna. Um, everyone, they work as a customer solutions, a podcaster. Hello, Dr. Dissolve. <laughs> um, okay, awesome. So I'm just scrolling here. And the next thing we have is, is BA2 a cause for concern? China shut, is shut down again and the U.S. numbers are on the rise. Are COVID workers essentially prepared for another shutdown? What would you do? Wow. I mean, that's a great question. Um, I, I'd like to ask the panelists, do y'all have an answer to that? I can't answer the first part. Um, I'm not too familiar with everything concerning the shutdown again, but if we were prepared for another shutdown, I would say my village, I'm going to call on you again. Um, cause that's definitely where it stands and where my strength came from to be able to navigate. So I speak to that nature again. Um, just to say that it, it took a tribe to hold me down and make sure that I was still navigating and being safe. And, you know, it, it got temptation was there. It got tempting to say, Hey, I want to go outside. I'm vaccinated. You know, I feel like everybody is safe around me and Hey, we can go out. I, I have the card right now. We have the card, but you know, essentially it's still those symptoms that we can get, those things that we can pass to those that aren't vaccinated. So um, I definitely am not prepared myself for another shutdown, but, you know, at the strength of a woman, we get through it and we manage it the best that we can to be able to do what we have to do. So um, anybody else, Panna, if the hand is raised to answer it, go ahead and take yourself off mute. (laughs) (laughs) But I I did want to say in in terms of, um, you know, um, our, my perception of the entity that I work for, um, are they ready for another shutdown? I don't think so. Um, I think that um, we can learn from our past mistakes. And I think going forward, what would need to happen in the event of another shutdown would be for the executive portion of the Anchorage School District to elicit the help of 110 public health nurses, aka school nurses, in coming up with appropriate mitigation plan, appropriate strategies, and how to handle um, what is actually happening in our schools. I think that um, uh, we as, as, as school nurses um, really need to have a seat at the table. I think that would be one of the first steps in planning for another shutdown, is having a voice and a seat at the table and our expertise in dealing with COVID to be valued at the top of the food chain, if you will, in the Anchorage School District. So um, I personally do not know that we are prepared for another shutdown should we have B2 or Deltacron um, emerge in Anchorage, Alaska. Thank you, Panna. Um, there's actually a comment in the chat as well. You popped it today, Panna. It says, the idea that the Anchorage School District got millions in funds for COVID but did not utilize the, uh, for hazard pay for staff is concerning. So you can speak to that if you want to, but you don't have to. That statement is correct. Again, I think that um, some entities um, take a very paternalistic approach in dealing with COVID mitigation, and they do not ask the boots on the ground, if you will, to take kind of a military perspective. They do not ask the boots on the ground what um, is needed to support them going forward 
emotionally, financially, spiritually, and just in supplies. That statement is correct. Um, and uh, hopefully going forward, those, if, if any, <laughs> any execs for the Anchorage School District are listening to this or if this, you know, the community conversation spreads like ripples in a pond that we as school nurses be part of the conversation going forward on what is best for students, staff, employees within the Anchorage School District should another uh, pandemic emerge or should we have another shutdown? Thank you, Panna. I actually got a direct um, question, so I'm going to read that in here and then I'll post it to anyone who wants to answer it. It says, um, well, maybe it's actually for, um, for Lillian. It says, how does, how has your experience been within the Pacific community navigating COVID? I think you briefly touched on it, but if you don't mind. Yes. Thank you for that question, Jackie. Um, navigating COVID through the Pacific community has been really difficult, especially since our community was hit so hard in the beginning with a lot of even my personal family and friends getting hospitalized from the virus and passing away. Just seeing how that affected us was really hard. Um, but getting the information out, the um, like accurate and credible information around COVID vaccines and prevention has been somewhat difficult, but we're seeing as community health workers that work um, targeting our Pacific Islander Native Hawaiian communities, we're getting that factual information out through church communities and going to different community partner groups and just meeting people where they are to get that information out. And just seeing someone that looks like them, talking to them about vaccines and health information has been really helpful in getting that information out because I know a lot of misinformation from Facebook and other social media outlets were really um, kind of causing that that really um, kind of hesitancy towards health in general regarding medicine and vaccines but in other valid reasons for not trusting the medical system but building trust that way of just meeting people where they were were really was is really helpful right now for what we're doing. Thank you for that. Um, the a follow up question to that was, do you feel that you're receiving the necessary uh, assistance that you need to be successful? Um, to be successful, um, the Pacific Community of Alaska is a um, brand new organization, and we actually came together because of COVID-19. Um, many community leaders, Pacific Islander leaders came together because we saw this huge need for health equity work within our community. And so for resources, um, we're brand new, so our focus is COVID-19. We've gotten funds for PPE. We've actually been giving out to our community COVID prevention kits. So meeting the needs that way and resources, I think, would have been very helpful to us two years ago. But now that we have this resource, it's been really great. And we've been really receptive of being able to meet people where they are, dropping them off at their homes and just going to churches and passing them out. So those resources have been really helpful. We just hope that this funding and um, support from our community financially and community support continues even after COVID slows down more so that we can have health education and information to our people in a place where we can meet them where they are. Thank you for that. I, I like, um, like you said, meeting people where they are. I think that's a huge factor and just 
in measuring success and what that means um, and, and how you can navigate that. And, and if you feel like that you're being um, given proper resources to be able to help the community. Um, I, like I said, I work within mental health. So it started with me just making sure that I was equipped and okay to be able to go into my job every day so that I could handle and not not even handle, but just ensure the well-being of everybody around me as I checked my attitude at the door um, to make sure that I was okay so that I could have those conversations to advocate for my clients because they couldn't advocate for themselves. So um, I'm actually going to turn it over to Allison to see if she wanted to share anything um, that she was seeing in the chat or if there are any questions that need to be answered. Yeah, thank you, Jackie. One thing I wanted to circle back to um the language we use is so important. And in one of our comments, someone mentioned the term moral injury, which has been used instead of burnout, I think, especially in the fields of healthcare, and can be understood as the response that a person experiences um, after they witness or involved in an event that violates their own personal or ethical code. I was wondering if this is something that any of our panelists have experienced, had to navigate, um, and maybe how they handled that either at an individual or institutional level. Thank you for that. Panna, there you shared a um, a COVID response for the Muni. Can you share a little bit about what you shared there so um, we can know? Oh, that is just um, just some a mental health link for people to go to with regard to um, uh, resources post COVID. Um, it was it was just a some a link that is helpful for people. Um, I I did want to um, speak to Allie's um, comment, and I would um, strongly agree that it is moral injury. It is beyond PTSD. We have to, as as essential workers, make decisions and um, support people that may or may not be um, socially responsible in terms of mask wearing. Um, We may have to um, work with people that don't believe COVID is real or that are vaccine hesitant or actually anti-vaxxers. And so um, in the middle of a pandemic, that is a struggle. That is a struggle when those individuals are people you work with, those individuals are um, children or their parents, um, and when our focus as, as essential workers is to keep people safe, it is, it is damaging. It is, it is tough. It, 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 and I, I, I can't speak for my other colleagues, but for myself, it, it leaves scars. It, it leaves scars. And um, self-care is the only way to sort of heal the scars, but the scars don't go away. The moral injury doesn't go away. Thank you, Panna. And and that's all the reason self-care is the best care to make sure that we're able to serve and go out there every day and face those battles. Um, I'm so grateful. I'm going to keep saying it for my tribe. Um, Lillian, actually, there's a question in the chat for you. It says, what are ways community members can better support and advocate for the Pacific Islander leaders and school nurses going forward, especially what should other variant call Especially should other another variant cause closures again. Sorry if you under, didn't understand that. Let me know if you need me to read it again. It's in the chat too. Thank you, Jackie. I read that that question, and that's a great question. I think for me personally, as someone um, connected with the Pacific Islander community, 
I think just making sure that the people who are involved or like are affected are in charge of helping with decision making to know what's best for their communities. Because, yeah, I think that for me is the biggest thing for um, making sure that people are from the community are helping to lead those decisions and helping them get connected to resources and things like that. So I know that's a very vague answer, but that would be for what I think. And I think that second half of the question was for you. It says in school nurses going forward, especially should another variant cause closures again. I'm assuming it's what are other ways community leaders can better support and school nurses going forward, especially should another um, variant cause closures again. That is that is a good question. Um, intensive community engagement. Um, community leaders, community members um, speaking directly with their individual school nurses, getting to know their school nurses um, and um, coming up with ways that um, individuals can mitigate COVID that fits within their culture, fits within their social determinants of health, fits within their cultural worldview, I think would be um, Critically important, should another variant cause closures, um, each culture has its way of coping with mental stress. And I think to, to help school nurses better advocate and support their populations, communication. Just call your school nurse, communication, engage in conversation, um, listen, and then the school nurse will listen to you. I think that that is is a huge piece because we work directly with the community at the community level. So I think you know parents calling calling and engaging in a conversation, no matter how frustrated and mad they might be, and working things out together. So if, if that's helpful, I like that you said the word listen. Because um, I think oftentimes as persons, we go, go, go. We you are so busy and that we have things that to do that we just forget to listen. And um, I just I learned the other day and it's, it's so funny. You see so many words all the time. You just never realize and recognize. But um, listen and sound are the same words, just a few letters changed around. Right. So just just listen and, and speak to that. I, I just think that was so powerful just in general that, you know, to listen, we have to be silent. We have to hear people and meet them where they are and be able to stop and reflect and think about what they may be going through and how they're experiencing things. Because it might not look, my journey might not look like your journey or their journey or the next person's journey, but together we can get through it. And, and I think that's where, um, you know, we, we can do better as a people, as, as everyone, just to make sure that we are holding each other accountable, being there for one another as well. Um, so this is the last, it's at 749, about to seven, turn to 750. And, um, I know last community conversation, we mentioned that we would have some, um, insight from the audience. So I'm going to call on just two audience members just to share their name, their profession, and just, um, just how you've been mitigating through COVID. What did that look like for you? And if there's anything that you can share for everyone else to, to move moving forward that can better serve and help them. Um, I have, I'm just going to call here. I see actually our past panelists. I got Miss Precious Marie Walker here. If, um, if she's here, she can turn on her camera and we can focus on her. That would be great. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me back this time as a listener and 
just like you said, you have to listen. And I'm so glad to be here because not only was I able to listen, I was able to learn things. I was learning that it's important for me not only as a healthcare provider, but to take care of myself. How can I take care of other people if I don't take care of myself? So I learned it's okay to dance, crack jokes, talk to your colleagues, talk to your friends. Also, what I really enjoyed is that Panda talk about having the strength to stand up for yourself. Say, hey, this is what we need moving forward. Well, if we're taking care in her case, I know she's working with students, taking care of students. So it gave me that confidence and say, hey, this is what I need if I'm building more clinics throughout the state of Alaska. That is very great. And I really encourage everyone on this call to continue to advocate for themselves, ask questions, participate when you're talking to your healthcare providers, the nurses. And something I want to mention before we go or before I go, rather, is we've been essential before they said we was essential. Our worth does not come from this pandemic. We was always important, hence why we was always there. Thank you, Miss Precious Marie. I appreciate it. So, so dynamic. You're so, so, so right. Um, all right. So the next person I have here, um, give me one second. Um, I'm going to read some of the chat questions here. It just says, thank you, Miss Walker. That was so awesome. Um, let's see. Kathy Easy is an amazing nurse as well. Thank you for that. I'm grateful to Nurse Panna. She is a godsend to the all this, to the service um, high school. Thank you so much for that. Yes, people too. Yes, people don't listen. Two ears for a reason. Awesome. Thank you, precious. Is there anybody else wanting and welcoming to share? We actually wanted to take the last 10 minutes to actually give all, open to the audience. Um, like I said, it's a conversation for you guys to talk as well. So if not, then I'm happy to just go ahead and run my gab. <laughs> I think we have a Marilyn Russell's hand up. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll lower my hand. Uh, thank you for calling on me. Um, yeah, I'm a retired teacher. I was uh, teaching elementary school, second, third, fourth grade, and ESL um, in in uh, Fairbanks for 45 years. Or no, I lived there 45 years. Anyway, the reason why I wanted to talk is that um, I remember back in the 70s when we had land set aside not only for regular health, um, you know, physical health, but also mental health. And the physical health land was developed, and it it has a lot of money going into that. And the mental health land was was sold off to developers, or you know, made some of the realtors richer, or you know, it was really maybe they didn't think that we needed mental health. And so I talked to Senator Scott Kawasaki about it. And I said, well, what can we do about that? And he said, well, it's very confusing. I mean, it's very uh, complicated. And so I brought it up here now because I'm thinking, would it be okay to approach our senators and say, hey, there was money set aside for this issue, and now we don't have it. I mean, this is double jeopardy. We should be really pushing for this. And I brought it up as a topic to just add more um, strength to your petitioning or talking to your legislators. Okay. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. And I, I definitely agree with that, that the representation matters. So definitely going out there and voicing your opinions, making sure that you know who the people are that you need to talk to to be sure that you're getting the right advocacy and, and things for your um, for everybody in your culture. Um, and so within the last uh, five to six minutes, we're going to do our closeout. But I really just want to leave you with a few words um, and just some sentiments to think about. Um, so, you know, it's so time and time again, it's overly and that we brush off the importance of a person, the essentialness of people. Um, everybody, I wanted you to get on the camera so you can see everybody. Y'all joining this conversation meant that you are essential. You are essential to the being, whatever job role that you perform, you do it, you do it well and to the best of your ability every day. By his good grace, you get out there and do it. And I'm grateful for you. We thank you um, as the Alaska Black Caucus, as well as myself and everybody that sat on the panel today. I thank you for your insights. Um, um, if this pandemic hasn't really taught me anything or just enough, it's to be patient with myself um, and just everybody else around me. And just to remember that, like I said, that not everybody has the same journey, but if we work together, we can get there safely together. Um, to not take it so hard and be hard on myself, be, be forgiving and remember that everything happens in the right time. Take a deep breath. Remember who you are, who you are and what you came to do and get it to it, okay? So as we rebuild ourselves and we take the time, we can adequately face the world around us. All right, from there, guys, I'm gonna leave you with this quote from Anonymous. Essential workers are like candles. They consume themselves to light the way for others. Remember to keep the candle burning by closing those windows. Sometimes they let that cold air in. Turning off that fan that distracts you from the papers blowing all around the room. Remember, to self-care and self-love is the best thing for yourself. Remember that burnout is real. And sometimes we have to clip that wick to get it right and be refreshed to burn brighter. Thank you, everyone. I'm going to turn it back over to Teresa Burvell to close out our session. Wow, what a great conversation. Again, thank you to our program participants. And of course, you all for joining us this evening. We want to thank our caucus members and allies for change group for their continuous support. If you would like to join our great organization or link to the allies for change group within the Alaska Black Caucus, please visit us at alaskablackcaucus.com. We would also like to thank the municipality of Anchorage. This program was supported by a grant awarded by the municipality of Anchorage. Anchorage Health Department. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this publication program and exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the municipality of Anchorage or Anchorage Health Department. Additionally, the views and opinions expressed by the participants and or panelists are their own and do not represent the institutions or organizations they are associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless clearly stated. Now, be sure to join us right here next Sunday, April 3rd, for a community conversation on the Anchorage School Board Candidate Forum. Until next time, good night, everyone. Last